Anticipate Media proudly presents another episode of the Neat Creative Brief Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Antico. This is actually episode five for December 29th, 2015, our end of the year episode. I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about the Sony PXW FS5. I encourage you to look at the show notes for this episode. It's under the podcast uh, button at anticipatemedia.com, all one word, anticipatemedia.com. Just click on the podcast button, and you can see the show notes for all the shows because I'm going to put a lot of stills in this one. I'm going to put a lot of stills because I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I've had the FS5 since its release, and uh, this accompanies the A7R2 from Sony, which is a... Uh, mirrorless uh, SLR, ILC, whatever the hell you want to call it, that shoots 4K internal 420XAVC-S at 10 bits. Sorry, at 8 bits. 420. Externally, it does 422 the same 8 bits. Um, Just a side note, while we're talking about the A7R2, which is a beautiful 42 megapixel stills camera, by the way, it is about two stops behind the A7S2, two to three, in noise. If you slap a speed booster on there from Metabones that buys you a stop, and it gets you within one stop of the A7S2 in um, noise performance up to 12,800. So 12,800 looks like 6,400 on the AS, A7S2. So you can get about to the same quality as the A7S II, uh, would it, where it would be at 6,400 um, at 12,800. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it's a very good low-light camera. Um, it is about equal to where the A7S I was because the A7S II Mark II has about a stop of uh, improvement in the noise due to better processing. But the problem with the A7R II, and I'm going to get to the FS5 in a second, but I have a point here is important. This backup, I mean, this background is important. Is that the A7R2 uh, had a overheating problem when recording 4K? The RX100 Mark IV shoots maybe five minutes. It shuts down, and then maybe you can get another three minutes, and that sucker just gets too hot and shuts down. It's a smaller sensor, one inch, a beautiful camera, I think, for the price um, and the pocketability, but it shuts down. The A7R2. And to some extent, the A7S II was doing the same thing. Now, the A7R2, you really want to shoot in Super 35 mode. On the A7R2, the R2, the Super 35 mode offers the best, cleanest quality with no moray or aliasing, virtually none. And its noise performance is significantly better than the full frame version. So that Equality with the A7S when you use a speed booster is when you're using the Super 35 mode. You do get worse rolling shutter, but you know you get uh, pretty clean pictures. I mean, it's clean, you know, for 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 what it is. 42 megapixel sensor, 42, <clears throat> and you're using the center. I think 15 megapixels, and then they downsample that to uh, your eight, and that's what you get. It's very good. <clears throat> Uh, regardless, if you're shooting uh, full-frame 4K or Super 35 full care, 4K internal with this camera, it would overheat. It would overheat at approximately 30 minutes, 
And uh, then if you continued on, it would continue overheating. Depending on your room and your environment, you might get another 20 minutes. You might get another 10. But typically, most people didn't make it past 45. I know I never could. Um, and this was in like a you know 68-degree room. Outside in the sun, it was even worse. Some people couldn't even make it to 30 minutes. And then once you hit that mark, if you didn't completely cool the camera down, you were screwed because it would keep shutting off. Uh, it would shut off after 10 minutes and another 5 minutes. Maybe you get another 10. Maybe you get another 5 or 20. Um, if you shot in 10-minute increments or ten, you know, shots under 10 minutes and you shut the camera off between shot taking, you were usually okay. But this is a royal pain in the ass, especially if you had it mounted to a gimbal or some kind of rig or something where you, you didn't want to have to deal with all that nonsense. Um, just before Christmas, Sony came out with a firmware update, which still shocks me because of what it does. The camera no longer overheats. It may overheat in like brutally hot weather, like if you left your iPad out in a, in a, in a car that was closed, it will overheat or, you know, your phone might overheat. Uh, iPhone, if it's very, very hot, anything will overheat if it's way too hot. And I haven't tested it in the heat because it's now winter here, snow and ice. But uh, inside a normal room where this thing was shutting off on me after 30, 40, 50 minutes off and on recording, um, this uh, A7R 2 with the new firmware did not overheat. In fact, I was able to record continuously just changing batteries in cards for three and a half hours before I had to leave. Three and a half hours. That's like a full shoot in some cases. Never overheated. Never overheated. Never overheated. It's amazing. And then you might think, well, the quality it must have taken a dive. They're doing something with the sensor. The quality was fine. You zoomed in. You could see the same quality of noise and grain that you saw when the thing was cold. Shocking. Shocking. Um, this now makes the internal recording of the A7R2 viable for professional shots because it's not going to die out on you, you know, unless it's in, a, in, a, in a, an oven or something. I attached uh, or I purchased a, an, a Veravon Zeus cage for it, which is surprisingly good. I do think they should have put some um, stops on the top rail where you attach the handle because if that rail gets loose, it's like a NATO rail and it gets loose, it will slide right off. So tighten that mofo down. Other than that, it's extremely good. I like it. And I put a Kessel quick plate on the bottom. My whole um, connection system is Kessler Quick Everything, by the way, which is also compatible with Zucuto's uh, quick release items. I don't know how many they sell now, but they have them. Um, like their QR um, quick release uh, shoulder um, pad, which they don't sell anymore, but I still have because it's great. I also have their incredibly um, excellent VCT universal plate, which is VCT mount, but I added a Kessler plate to that. Everything's Kessler Quick System Everything. Stuff is built like a brick, so I can jump into tripod, slider, monopod, shoulder rig, everything. Click, 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 click. Um, you have to be a member of that system, though. You have to use that, and if you don't, like when some of the stuff rents out, um, you just take off the plates. It's no big deal. You can go VCT, v, uh, TC, VCT, whatever. Point is, this is a great camera now. Totally usable, uh, will not overheat. If you add an external recorder like a Shogun, uh, Pix uh, E, uh, the incredibly uh, nice Odyssey, which I wish I bought initially, but they all do the same thing. They all have nice screens. You you put a Shogun on there, so I'll just use Shogun, you know, generically for um, 
for uh, you know external recorder. Although I I probably would purchase the Odyssey if I had a choice because it's a much more um, you know robust unit physically. The Shogun is less robust. The Ninja Assassin is a version of that that only does HDMI. Um, but um, still an incredibly powerful unit with now, finally, a year later, a fairly complete um, firmware. So you get nice features and you can you know, put LUTs on there and, and uh, soon they're going to add the ability to, uh, or they already had, sorry, you can record a Sony FS RAW um, from the FS7 with the back added or the F... Um, FS700 and get 4K and, and turn it into ProRes. And it's very nice. They're going to be adding, um, Sony's going to be adding that to the FS5 as well. So uh, Shogun owners, you will be able to record RAW Shogun, not Ninja Assassin. And any of these other cameras, um, like the Odyssey, um, the camera recorders, you will be able to record RAW out of the FS5. And FS7 if you have it with the back. Um, so very nice. Anyway, you don't need that anymore to record long times on the A7R2. It's just nice because, of course, you're getting much more than 100 megabits of codec space. Um, this is all going to come back to the FS5 later as we, we talk here, as we have our chat, our, our fireside chat. And you can also get your 422 color out of there which is important because 420 can cause some macro blocking um, you're not going to get 10 bits out of it but it does put it in a 10-bit wrapper so when you are 10-bit file so when you push and pull it um, some bits are created by your uh, NLE or your resolve or not as you move colors around and there will be a little bit more room uh, in the file um, for that or so I've been told by Atomos I don't actually know if that's true because NLEs and, and coloring programs, they operate in a 16 or 32 bit uh, space for the calculations and, and it kind of all goes there. But I guess it can be recorded, it can be recorded back into the ProRes 10 bits of color that include all your, you know, manifestations and changes where, uh, you know, even though this, the source data is only 8 bits. Um, so there's, there's some advantage to having a bigger, bigger pile there instead of working in 8 bits. I digress. Um, so you can get a lot more bandwidth and 422 color versus 420 typically helps with that kind of blocky macro blocky noise that you'll see in the background in shots where there's uh, just one color, like a surface, a, a wall that's lit with a spotlight or something or the sky or any area of solid color where there was noise, 422 encoding will help break up that color kind of macro blocky noise um, and it does with the FS5 it also does with the C100 which looks identical to the C300 from Canon with uh, and a recorder attached recording 422 but internally it can be kind of a macro blocky mess because of that limited codec 35 megabits in that case I believe versus the 50 on the C300 422 versus 420 this all comes to play with the FS5 so now that we have all that geeky background in play and the notation that the a7r2 is now an incredibly usable camera for 4k looks very good um, let's compare it and the fs7 to the fs5 which are three different cameras for three different purposes really i've been using the fs5 since its release uh, extensively 
I'm a documentary shooter primarily. I also do corporate work. Some event coverage as part of documentary and training videos. Um, some drama, but mostly personal stuff. Uh, mostly documentary and uh, you know corporate feature pieces about people, that kind of thing. So run and gun, running around with a camera and shooting as it happens in natural light with changing conditions is really where I live best. And when it comes down to setups, it's usually interviews. That's what I do. Run around disaster zones and then tape interviews. Um, run around uh, with active shooter, you know, a training and then shoot interviews. So the interviews have to look, and, and some produced set pieces, you know, to kind of go around, uh, go around the event or, or, or the actual live portion or the, 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 the uh, documentary portion. The rest is all kind of produced. So I have multiple needs. I have a need for a light kind of shoulder mount cinema style camera that can also run and gun. I have a need for something very discreet and small and handheld that I can steal shots with. I have a need for kind of a more traditional news kind of camera. And I want everything to, uh, uh, and, and this is along with the GoPros and the, and the aerial platforms and so forth, like the X5 from DJI. This is, we're just talking about cameras. And uh, we all like it to look great. So we want our 12 to 14 stops plus of dynamic range. And we want our 4K because why not? It's 2015. Um, advantages to 4K when most of your people still view HD is you can get a better picture because you're super sampling or um, so you're 4K sampling down to HD. The C300 did this in camera uh, and was um, notorious in a good way for uh, having an incredible picture because it went 4K to 2K. So you get that, typically more detail and so forth in your 4K. And your 2K image, you get a downsampling of the noise, so your image is cleaner. And you can crop in uh, on interviews, which is kind of nice, or crop in on your shots and still get you know a nice full 100% 1080 image. Um, and uh, you will also get the ability to do better image stabilization because you have so many more pixels to work with. The last thing is you have a good archive. So if everybody wants to come back and shoot uh, display 4K because everybody's getting 4K TVs now, they're dirt cheap, $680 for a 55-inch Vizio local dimming LED 4K TV, Ultra HD TV. I was shocked. I saw that in the store. I'm like, my God. That's a good TV too. Um, so people are going to want to watch their 4Ks even though if they're four feet away from the screen or larger uh, or farther away in a 50, 60-inch TV. They will never notice the difference because you can't change God's eyes. Okay, you just can't have a big projection screen like I have a hundred inch, hundred five inch, I think it is screen, ten feet away. You're gonna notice the difference there. Things look sharper. Um, so having 4K for archive purposes and future proofing is good. Um, I will do another show about 4K. It's still kind of useless for viewing. One thing to note when you're shooting your beautiful 4K footage, if you have a static shot and you are close to a screen, like a retina screen, a 5K iMac, even your phone, really, or one of these big TVs and you're like three feet away um, looking at it on a wall or something, static shots look great. Filmed at 24 frames a second, they look great. You see a lot of detail. The second that camera moves, you lose it all. You lose it all spatially. 24 frames a second smears everything. So this whole vaunted 4K is so important. 
in viewing. Even if you have the 4K TV and the retina and you're sitting close and you're on top of it, you can lick the pixels. It doesn't fucking matter because when you move the camera, nobody can see it anyway. So it really uh, is it, for post-production use and acquisition use is great because you can do all the things I mentioned. But for viewing purposes, I mean, maybe someday if you have a lot of stack shots, landscapes, that kind of thing, you want to see the pores in your in your model skin. I, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool. But really, it's best at making good HD images. Um, if you shoot HD, well, you can't crop in, can you? You can't get all those post benefits. You can't uh, change your angle or you know, mix it up and do a digital pan or what you, you can't do any of that. So I prefer to shoot in 4k, even though it's kind of useless for viewing and may always well be Never mind 8k. Don't even get started on that nonsense. Um, I guess 8k is to 4k. What 4k is to HD, you get the same benefits of the that super sampling and you can crop in further and uh, whatnot. So 4k is important in 2015. Um, for all those reasons I mentioned, and you kind of want to shoot in it to get those benefits, but you don't have to. 4K, uh, HD upsampled to 4K looks really, really good too, especially if it came from a quality HD camera like the C300. I mean, it looks really fucking good. I have um, a 40-inch 4K display here, a playout screen. I have a 5K screen from Dell, which is the same panel uh, as the 5K iMac. And next to that, I have an HD screen, and I also have an HD projector and an HD television, and I test against all these things. Um, and uh, frankly, when you sit back in the theater and watch the HD or the 4K downscale to HD, um, yeah, it, it, it looks great. And when you're sitting in front of your screen, uh, the HD upscale to 4K when everything's in motion all looks similar. It's, it's all one big happy world. Unless you stop the camera, then, ooh, does it look nice. So. My preference is now to shoot in 4K. How is this relevant to the FS5? Well, let's talk about the FS5. If you're not familiar with it, I'm going to give you the 10-second rundown, maybe a minute. It is the baby FS7 in form factor and, and, and what you're getting. At that. Now, the FS7 itself is a baby F5 with the 4K recording option. And the F5 is a baby F55. Um, there's a new color array on the F55 to get a wider color gamut, which nobody will ever really see, and uh, a global shutter. But otherwise, um, they're all very similar, and uh, the chip technology out of them is similar or the same. In the case of the F5, F, um, F7, and the FS5, they all share the same sensor. Very good Sony sensor. The FS7 is a little kludgy in that it doesn't have the side panel to quickly change your settings, but otherwise, it's virtually identical to the FS, uh, the F5 with the 4K recording option. Same codecs, XAVC-I, which is intra-frame, 10-bit, 422, uh, starting at 240 megabits a second for 24p and going up to 600 megabits a second for 60p. It also shoots 60p, um, and it will shoot slow and quick motion, and some 4K, by the way. And it will shoot slow and quick, uh, continuous slow motion in HD up to 180 frames per second, up to 240 when recorded raw externally. Um, it's a beautiful codec. If you look at broadcast quality HD, you want 50 megabit 422 uh, output, and it can be 8-bit 
that 10 bit 10 bits are obviously preferred because you have more to work with especially in areas where there's light gradations of color like skies and, and walls 4k is two times the resolution as far as numbers up and down but it's four times the pixels so it's technically four times as many pixels to encode four times as many pixels and get the same quality as HD at 50 megabit, you want 200 megabit. So you have the same amount of data relative to that 50 megabit file broadcast ready as you do to the 4K file at 24 frames a second. Um, roughly, you want a minimum of 200 megabits a second, all other things being equal. XAVCS versus XAVCI, 240 gives a little bit more overhead for the intraframe. Uh, 200 would be about equal. That's what you want. If you go less and you record that 4K image at 100 megabits a second, that's the equivalent of recording HD at 25 megabits a second. Uh, AVC HD is around that range at 17 to 24 megabits a second, I recall. AVC HD can look very, very good. I shot a documentary about 9-11 on the FS100 way back in the day, and that was AVC HD internal. You know, 24 megabits a second, I believe. It looked quite good. God forbid you had a low light scene or a lot of movement. It would break up a little bit, but it, you know, it looked pretty damn good. It all depends on the scenes you're, you're, you're working with. You start pushing and pulling the color, it fell apart, looked bad. Looked like a Picasso. or Actually, it looked like a um, Pollock. Just a friggin mess um so that's where you kind of crave more when you get to the 50 megabits a second 422 in the c300 wow that could push and pull a lot more you could drag a lot more out of that image uh and when you get to uh you know uh, 100 megabits per second you know it gets even better same thing with the 4k so your fs7 your f5 your f55 uh and another modern cameras will shoot at a minimum of 200 megabits a second in 4k 422 higher if you go to other cameras like the c300 mark ii it's great your a7r your rx100 mark IV little pocket camera um your um fs5 a7s2 they all shoot gh4 from panasonic they all shoot 100 megabits a second 420 that was no that's pretty low it's like avc hd 4K ABC HD, if there was such a thing. And then you get to your, um, I think it's Arabella chip-based uh, units like the GoPros and the DJI cameras, and they go down to 60 megabits a second, which is even, I mean, now, now we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's like 17 megabits per second ABC HD. Again, usable, but God forbid you get things moving in the frame. You really need to uh, be careful to expose 100% properly and not to, you know, overdo it with the movement so we have spatial encoding quality and we have color encoding quality the c100 shot at 35 megabits a second 420 it had some spatial encoding issues when you had a lot of say tree limbs moving in the background and stuff like that it would start to break up and you had color encoding quality issues when you looked at a, a plain blank wall or sky you had to attach a recorder the FS7, the C300 for HD, um, the F5, they don't have these issues because they have a more robust codec which matches what we're used to using in broadcast for HD. 
Uh, you got more bits too. 10 bit, 422, 240 megabits. The F3 was very good at that for HD. But the 4K equivalent, they have the data, they got the engine, they can work it. The FS5 is not a baby FS7 because it doesn't have all of that. The FS7 is a baby F5. The FS5 is not a baby, baby F5. It is kind of its own thing. The body style is very similar as far as like the shape and the buttons and so forth. The menus are completely different, however, and they look to be based on the A7 series engine. Uh, when you update the firmware on the FS5, and there was a firmware update for it, it runs almost the same exact looking program as the FS, I'm sorry, as the A7X series, A7R21, whatever. Um, it uses picture profiles numbered one through eight, uh, just like the A7X cameras. Uh, if you have an FS7, F5, it's completely different. You use custom mode or Cine EI mode, and you choose your gamma, and you can adjust your white balance um, in the custom modes. And, all kinds of features and none of that on this thing. Um, this uh, seems to be the same sensor, but a completely different processing engine that is simplified and dumbed down. I mean, you can't even control where channel two, input two goes. It's, it's, I think it's right or sorry. You can't mix one and two. It's either one and one channel one and one in channel two for audio. There's some weird ass limitations that that just aren't present on Sony's other professional cameras, especially the Cinema Series. The FS and F Series are the Cinema cinema Series. Large sensor, Super 35. So, uh, shit. So what are you getting? I don't know. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen. The F5 FS7 sensor, the body of the S FS7 kind of brought down in size, but still similar quality. And the encoding capability of the A7 series, but noisier. It's weird. So let me talk about the good. Yet 26 minutes in the brief, and I'm finally talking about the good of the camera. So let's talk about the good. The FS5 is very small. It is just a little bit bigger than an iPhone 6S Plus uh, lengthwise. Of course, it's uh, thicker, much thicker and taller, but it's kind of like a DSLR body. Like if... If you took the the uh, like a 5D Mark II and you kind of or Mark III and you put the lens on the side versus the front, made it a little bit chunkier. It's kind of what you get. I mean, it's small. It's really nice. It has a magnesium uh, f uh, inside frame that kind of extends to the outside, and it's covered in, in like a hard plastic just over the buttons. But it is roughly the same quality and build. Uh, it's, subjectively as the fs7 which itself is pretty damn good and i'm very very hypercritical about camera builds the fs100 was a piece of garbage with light plastic and had magnesium frame but it was covered all of this light plastic and you never really saw the magnesium except for at the, at the tripod mount this thing has magnesium all on the front all on the bottom all along the back curved side like the fs7 it's really nice I think the side panels may be like an ABS plastic and the FS7s may be metal, but maybe not. I don't know. It's very good. It's very similar to like a C100, um, C100 Mark II from Canon. Robust. Very nice. 
Um, secondly, they did they did a lot of really nice stuff in thinking about uh, how you might use it. For example, there's an XLR input one on the body itself, so you don't have to attach that handle if you don't want to to get XLR inputs. It streams uh, video, kind of in a basic way, but it does stream video to your iPhone or iPad, which is really nice. Um, it has a bunch of mounting points on the top. Like I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarter 20s, which is really nice. And it, it, it functionally operates almost identically to the FS7. So if you're used to that camera, this is, you know, button-wise as far as the switches on the side and so forth, and, and, and other Sony XD cameras, very similar. It has a grip, the smart grip, which is like the FS7s, but it attaches to the body itself. Can be extended with an arm like the FS7s, but this design is designed to be handheld camcorder use, which you can also lean against your body because of that nice back curve. Uh, once you put the handle on, you get uh, another XLR input, you get microphones, you get GPS eventually. It's robust, it's made of metal, magnesium, um, very nice handle, and you have four quarter 20 mount points where you can put on your monitor. You have a, I believe it's a three and a half inch, maybe a three and a half inch monitor, maybe five inch monitor, I forget. Three and a half inches sounds more accurate. Quite nice, little light black light bleed, but basically the same quality monitor as you get with the FS7. The FS7's monitor also has a loop that attaches to it and uh, makes it kind of a shitty viewfinder, but that's how it works on your shoulder. The, the, the monitor is the viewfinder. And it's mounted on this rod system, and it's kind of a pain in the ass, and you have to lengthen the rod and all this. Same thing with the arm. The FS7's arm is shit. It doesn't, it, you have to, you need, you know, like uh, coins to, you know, open and close it, and you break, you scrape the paint and all that crap. So the fine people at the Shape Corporation in Canada came up with an extension to the arm, which I think is mandatory to use, and it lengthens your arm uh, out by an inch, and you can just with the twist of a knob, make it longer or shorter and change the angle at will just by pressing a button. It's effing great. Um, if you want to, you can attach that and the FS7 grip uh, to the FS5 with uh, a rosette adapter kit. The FS7's monitor will work on the FS5. They use the same interface and vice versa. But I like the FS5's mount better. Because it has a little quarter 20 uh, screw built in with a little nub of like a 15 millimeter rod coming out, which then the monitor attaches to and can be rotated in basically any direction. Like it's really nice. You can flick it sideways. You can rotate it 360. You can basically put it wherever you want, kind of like the FS7 monitor, but it has four dedicated mount points on the camera. So you can put it far back or far forward to the left or the right. It's, it's really, really nice. It kind of reminds me of the uh, C300's monitor on the top of the handle, but even better, and even in better placement because with the monitor mounted, it kind of juts off to the side and you still have, you know, it doesn't make the camera any taller. And um, again, you get that with the FS7, but it's a lot more difficult because there's really only one place to mount it, which is off that 15 millimeter bar off the top. Um, the FS5 is much, much more malleable in that respect. And it gets even better. They include an OLED EVF. What? Yes, there's an OLED EVF in there. Um, it's permanently mounted to the back of the camera, so there's some limitations on what you can do with it. It is not as bright or as vivid or as detailed 
as the beautiful uh, EVF in the A7 series, but it is good and certainly better than what was on the original uh, C100, which was a joke, and I'd say it's as good as the C300 subjectively. Uh, so it's usable. It's very good. It's a little dim. It's a little green for some reason, but it is usable and it works. And uh, you have that as well as an option, which is very nice. Um, so with this handle or even without, you can mount it without the handle. Take take the side handle off, take the top handle off, and you get a little like drone camera. Or you can put it on a gimbal. It's not that long. It's like, you know, five inches long. It's very light, but it's robust. Uh, you add the top handle, which is also very robust, and you kind of get a more complete kit. You can add that monitor on there, which moves in every direction you possibly could want. You get the side handle. And this is just, a, and, and you have the EVF if you want to just go without the monitor or you want an option when it's sunny out or you want to brace it against your body for certain shots. Low, high, the center of gravity is perfect when you're holding it, unlike the FS7, which is very front heavy. So you kind of have to back the camera up on your shoulder and uh, add weight. It's a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, you can run and gun with the FS7, but this thing is far, far, far more comfortable to do that. And it weighs, I think, a quarter of the weight. So when it's fully rigged out, it's less than half the weight of the FS7. FS7 is kind of a heavy camera. It's about the, um, it's a little heavier than the C300. It's probably the same as the C300 Mark II. The FS5 is in another league. I fucking love it. The body is perfect. And then they added this thing, variable ND, built into the camera with no color cast and no image quality let down at all. You get the same little ND knob that you have in the FS7. You can go, uh, you know, one quarter, 32, 64th. Or you can hit the little variable button and then tune it any way you want. Like uh, if you had a very ND on the lens, but it's better quality. You're not getting any uh, uh, reflections where you didn't want them. You're getting no color cast whatsoever like my Genesis um, Fader ND, which is very nice, but has a color cast. No bullshit. It's there when you want. Extraordinary for doco shooting, run and gun. Yeah, nice to have the flip to all the different NDs on the FS7. C300 Mark II, he's going to have five, five different levels of ND built in. That's even nicer. But variable ND that goes all the way up to 1, 128, which is, I believe, is um, six, eight stops. I don't Look it up on Wikipedia. I don't have it off the top of my head. I believe it's eight or maybe 10 stops. It's a lot. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And you can pull these like um, exposure changes without touching your aperture at all. So you can kind of go in and out and just roll this knob uh, as you're holding the camera and change your exposure when you go from in, in and out. Love it. Love it. Beautiful. Wonderful. I want to lick it. It's that good. Love it. This should be on every freaking camera moving forward. No more, no more of this flipping around to different uh, little filters. Just use one and it's great. Just note when you have this thing in variable mode, if you lower it down in front of the lens, the lowest it can get is uh, one quarter. It doesn't go clear. If you want clear, you have to hit clear on the little knob and, and the thing goes up. So this camera is an absolute joy to use. Then you got these little batteries, the, the 30s, uh, the same uh, batteries that I use on the FS7, uh, I believe the F5, um, 
if you don't use a VLOC battery and, and Sony's EX cameras. This little battery lasts two and a half hours on the sucker. Two and a half hours for the little one. I believe you get uh, six hours on a 60 and eight hours on a 90. And the body is big enough to hold the 60 in it without the battery jutting out. It's fucking great. It's great. I had a 30 that came with the FS7, which was like useless. You get an hour out of it. So I never used it. Now I use it with this camera. I get two and a half hours. One set of these two little uh, 30 batteries and I get five hours out of this thing. Four to five. Great. And uh, all the benefits of E-mount and all the other stuff you're already aware of. Low light capability. Oh, now we get to the problems. Yeah. Now we get to the problems. But they're really not that bad. The camera's native ISO is 3200 and S-Log. You will hear some people online say, never shoot S-Log on an 8-bit camera. Uh, if you have low light in particular, you can shoot S-Log in good light if your exposure is perfectly spot on. Uh, you know, Generally, just don't blow your highlights out and keep you know, your... your kind of skin tones where you want them there is a LUT it's kind of a contrast LUT built into this camera you can turn on and at least judge your exposure although your color will be off which is kind of nice the FS7 has LUTs too but it only works in Cine EI mode and then when you turn on the LUTs you lose the waveform and you get more noise in Cine EI and it kind of sucks there is I'm, I'm digressing now there's a firmware 3.0 update coming out uh, maybe up by the time you listen to this January 2016 which will add focus magnification moving the block around, which you can do on the FS5 right now, by the way, very nice. And it adds noise reduction in Cine EI mode, which will finally, uh, looking at the F5, it doesn't make a huge difference, but it makes enough of a difference that I think you're going to be recording in Cine EI mode now uh, with no real noise issue, which gives you a lot, which you then can expose by eye with um, on the FS7. And, uh, you know, shooting that kind of workflow. Very nice. You do lose waveform uh, monitoring on the FS7 when you do that. The FS5 does not have waveform monitoring. I know, what the fuck? The C100 has waveform monitoring, but they couldn't include it in the FS5. Probably because it's based off the little, the little A7 series, and that does not have a waveform, and neither does this. You have a histogram. Sucks, but uh, better than nothing. You have zebras. More useful. Keep it under 90, you're good. Um, so they say not to shoot S-Log in 8-bit. Well, why do we why do we include S-Log then? The S-Log is in the A7 series, in the little RX100 series, S-Log 2. Kind of shy away from S-Log 3 because that brings up your shadows and makes it a little bit more messy, and that's good on you know, camera like an F5 or F55 or even FS7, but for these cameras, it's a little much. So, um, you know, S-Log 2 is preferable. Why include it at all if you can't use it? Stupid. So I use it. I use it, and I'm going to have a bunch of stills in this broadcast um, show notes where you can see all these shots, almost all of them are S-Log, and um, even on the FS5, which I've been bashing over the head with a 2x4 online, it looks pretty damn good. You can do it. Um, you're going to get, uh, obviously better quality. Uh, if you look at one of the shots provided by Ben Eckstein of Beryllium Pictures, thank you, Ben. It's a gentleman sitting next to a couple of test shots with a light blue kind of lit wall behind him. I'll kind of spotlit a little bit. 
So there's a nice gradation of color there on that light blue wall. And oh my God, the FS5 just falls apart primarily on that section of the wall, primarily because of the eight bits. You get a lot of banding. Um, on top of that, you get the noise from the low bit rate of the encoding uh, and the 420, and it's a double whammy, so you have all these little colored blocks dancing around the place. It looks like an Atari 2600. It's nasty. You're not going to get that um, uh, in cine mode as badly, and you're not going to get it uh, on the FS7, F5, because they just have more bits to deal with. It's very clean. But uh, strangely enough, you also don't get that issue on the A7R2, on the RX100, because their grain pattern is nice and fine, and they dither out that um, that banding. The C300 was like that; it had this fine grain that dithers out the banding. It's quite nice. Yeah, we don't have that on the FS5. So, um, if you want to shoot on the FS5 and you shoot S-Log in 4K, um, you're going to have some messy situations. Uh, if you shoot in HD, the noise is kind of reduced by the downsampling. It's all still there, though, but it's not nearly as bad. If you shoot in cine mode, you're compressing things better. Your shadows are, are neater and cleaner and generally looks better with less blocky, noisy, like color, color blocking. So I'm still on the good. The good thing is, and if you look at the images, I, which are graded with film convert, basic hit, a uh, no, uh, little grain added artificially in some cases, no noise reduction added um, at ISO 3200, um, they're pretty damn good. The, the uh, bright light stuff is very good, and any noise you see in the shadows and so forth is kind of masked, masked by the movement of the camera and, and the grain, and you can kind of get around it. Nobody's ever going to notice very nice high dynamic range image with beautiful highlight roll off in the S log. And it looks nice. You can use it. You can totally use it on contrary to what even I might've said. And, and some say, well, you can't, don't shoot S log in 4k on this camera. It's only eight bit. Go to hell. If it looks good, use it. It looks good. It looks good. Where, where the camera gets messy is in low light In low light, uh, of any kind, really. Uh, so if you have, you're at ISO 3200, but it's very dimly lit scene and you just don't have a lot of light there, the shadows start to get very noisy. That's true with any camera. That's true with the F5 and it just happens, you know, you need light. Um, but with this camera in particular, uh, the problem is it starts to, in HD2, frankly, I'm sorry, it happens in HD2. It gets this very macro blocky digital mess of like blinking moving color blocks which look like 420 uh, encoding limitations frankly and it looks bad it looks bad now you can um cover this up with noise reduction pretty well neat noise reduction uh, version 4 neat video version 4 is very good actually and uh, while it takes a lot of computing power on my eight-core D seven hundred sixty-four gigabyte uh, Mac Pro with all the shit working, you get about two frames a second. Take your iMac and reduce that by half. You might get one frame a second. That's kind of slow, but you can do it. And uh, you clean it up and make it look just as clean as the FS seven. You can put an external recorder on this thing, like the Shogun, cleans it right up. You still get the grain and the noise, but you get the same level as you get from the FS seven. The weird macro blocking mess goes away, um, so you can 
safely use like ISO 12800. You're good to go. Everybody's happy. You can use 6400, no problem. 3200, super clean. And um, it's great. So slap an external recorder on this thing, problems go away. But internally, your shadows are going to be noisy. There's no way uh, around this. Um, except to light your shadows. And if you light your shadows, well, what's the point of having shadows? It's kind of stupid advice. Don't light your shadows. No, don't light your shadows. They're shadow. They're dark for a reason. Add grain, number one. Uh, add noise reduction, number two. And you'll be okay unless there's a weird, um, you know, nice color gradient that 8 bits would have problems with. Now, so uh, the good news is this really isn't going to affect anything you do. If you're shooting this for documentary, you're shooting it for B cam, um, you know, running around, even in 4K, you know, if you have a pretty bright lens or a lens with a speed booster, um, it looks pretty damn good. I would say arguably it looks nicer than the A7R2s and uh, A7S is even quality subjectively because it looks, especially with the R2, it looks like there's more dynamic range and the uh, FS5's image, it looks just like the FS7, some nice highlight roll off, meteor mid-tones, it's just, it's a nicer looking image, it's really nice and of course it's easier to use because it's a video, proper video camera, but those shadows, man. I've caused a lot of controversy online because I decided to um, question, I know 45 minutes into the brief and here I go, right? I decided to question Sony's no limits bullshit marketing when it comes to this camera. There are absolutely limits. <laughs> you you want to shoot a documentary and you have to use natural light and there's anything, mo a modicum of low light or, you know, situation on you. Um, like some of the, te the test shots I put up online. Um, that wasn't entirely low light, by the way, because I had this extremely bright light pointed at the main subject, which I had to then apply neutral density to just get it under clipping. So I wouldn't call that a low light situation. I've also seen scenes in bright daylight, like bright, like a skateboard park with all kinds of concrete and, you know, the light of friggin', um, Zeus or Ra, sorry, get the right sun god, dude, blasting down lots of fucking photons and in the shadow or the darkness of someone's black pants. Oh, you see those macro blocks. Why is that happening? Well, I did a comparison. I shot the same scene with the FS7, the F5, I'm sorry, not the F5, the uh, FS5, the A7R2 and the lowly RX100 Mark IV. I compared them at uh, their base ISOs and then at 6400 and 12,800, and I uh, kind of graded them to taste. I also posted the raw footage. There's some minor variations in exposure there because of the variable ND I had to use. It wasn't perfect, but they're minor. The noise level is, is um, comparable on the A7R2. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, not comparable. The, the, the noise level is best on the FS7 internal recording it's cleaner you can get similar noise quality if you put an external recorder on the uh, fs5 in fact it's a little better than the internally recorded fs7 um the noise uh quality on the a7r2 is what i mentioned earlier but the fs5 uh noise is a lot greater because of the limitations in the codec the problem is 
Same scene. Cine. S-log. Whatever gamma you want to make up off the top of your head. It doesn't matter what fucking monitor you're looking at. What the temperature is. How uncomfortable your clothes are today. If you're blind in one eye. It doesn't matter. It's the same scene shown with the same. With the, the cameras set the same. All on S-Log 2 or all on Cine. The same ISOs with the same light. Everything pointed the same at the same, the same, the same. And the A7R2's rendition of the noise is a lot cleaner than the FS5's because it doesn't generally macro block. The FS5 shows nasty dancing blocks, squares of color that look like they're 16 pixel blocks that dance around in solid areas of color and around the noise. When you up the ISO to like 6400 beyond, the codec starts to fall apart entirely. Um, if you use, uh, you kind of get smeary and, and if you run something through the frames, all kinds of colored blocks follow it around like it's some kind of Apple IIc. It's just for a second, your audience probably isn't going to notice, but I notice. If you try to push and pull that footage, forget it. The disaster. Crush your blacks and pray to God. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. Um, and uh, in cine mode, in particular, in cine mode, there's a nasty separate bug where if you get any noise in your shot, so it's like ISO 3200 or beyond uh, in, a, in a low light situation, any horizontal uh, plane, um, when you, if especially if it's slightly out of focus, uh, and you move the camera up and down, will show these large digital macro block smears. In fact, if you step frame by frame and you have like a like a monitor edge. Uh, in the frame or something solid with a, like a high contrast junction, you will actually see the, the ghosting of this edge as you move the camera through the frames. Like the codec doesn't know what the hell's going on. Uh, it makes cine mode virtually unusable if you're encountering any kind of scene like that where there's, you know, like edges like window blinds or, you know, anything geometric. Yeah, you can look past it. You can pretend it's not there, but it's there. And the purpose of my uh, samples was to show you apples for apples, the same cameras pointed at the same thing. The A7R2 handles noise a lot cleaner than the FS5, which has these macro blocks, these nasty colored macro blocks. You might not see it on your screen. You might not see it because you're colorblind. You might not see it because you don't want to see it because you love your camera and you hold it every night like a baby and you don't want to think you bought the wrong thing or... You're a mad internet person or really you don't care. Your client doesn't notice or you cover it up with grain or whatever. But it's there. And my um, my one complaint about the camera is that. Sony, especially if they use the same sensor in the A7 series as this thing. Uh, in the FS5. That same, same processing rather. Sony should have provided the same quality handling of noise that they did in the lower end cameras you will get simply a much higher quality image with much less digital artifacting that is not noticeable to the eye when you do see it because it's masked in grain and general noise you get much better quality in those shadow areas 
on the A7R2 and frankly on the RX100 Mark IV is is um, you know, it's up there. It's better than the FS5, but it's a lot noisier, so we can kind of discount it. But you get better quality of the camera that costs $2,000 less. And when you step up to an FS7 for um, 2000 and change more, you get a vastly more capable camera with a lot more color range, a lot more smoothness of the image when you have gradations in color, much more um, bit rate. Uh, much more everything to work with, uh, a much more advanced camera, waveforms, lots, you know, Cine EI mode, 60 frames per second and 4K, on and on and on. So a far more capable camera than the FS5, and it's only $2,000 more. It is not nearly as run and gunnable as the FS5, um, but is not a, a huge honking camera either. My friend Joe Simon uh, said to me, you know, my, and he has the FS7 and the FS5. He said, my run and gun camera is the FS7. I brought the FS5 to put on an external recorder for Movi, and it works great for that purpose, by the way, because you kind of negate all these codec problems when you slap a recorder on it. And yes, you can run around the FS7. I'm in far better shape now than I used to be, so I could probably do it too, no problem. Uh, I dropped a ton of weight in the last year, and um, I'm much more fit than I used to be. But it doesn't mean it's best for everything to have everything on your shoulder all the time. Sometimes you just want to put the thing low to the ground and run around and kind of go in circles and kind of get in weird angles and stuff. And when that friggin' FS7 arm gets in the way in your shoulder pad and all that, you know, it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass. And the FS5 body is so much nicer. So why are we forced to make a compromise for a camera that costs only $2,000 less? Why did Sony do this? Why do they put artificial limits in the camera's Handling of low light when the camera above it, $2,000 more, and the camera below it, $2,000 less, is are much better at it. The documentary camera puts out all kinds of crazy macro-blocking noise compared to the other cameras. And that's the key point I want to make here. It's a comparison. It's a comparison the complaint is, comparatively speaking, to their other cameras. There are far worse cameras out there with far more worse noise. I'm sure there were cameras with far worse macro blocking, far worse images. I've seen them. This camera puts out lovely images that look very nice. You could easily use it for news, high-quality news. You could easily use it in 4K for documentary work. It will cut in with your FS7 and your F5 and other things pretty nicely. You will have to massage the image to take out some of the noise, but you can do it. You can put a recorder on it for setup shots, for drama. Um, I think the recorder is too big for run and gun because it's almost the size of a whole camera kit. You know, on top of the thing, it really changes the, the whole dynamic of using the camera. It's too much. But if you want to go crazy, you can do it. And you'll get FS7 quality. Not a problem. But, you know, you're sacrificing the size of the camera, so it's kind of stupid. The quality of the image is very, very good, but it should be better. You will see in some of the shots I've posted in the show notes for this thing, you will see that the quality, you can see the, you can actually see the blocks in the noise. Um, and I'll put in the captions what you should be looking at that just don't exist with the other cameras. There's no excuse for Sony to put out such Bush League um, mistakes in their camera, especially the Cine EI smearing. Um, comparative to other cameras. It's there. I'm not making it up. We're not lying. I took the thing out of the box. 
turned it on, put it in picture mode seven, and shot with it. Those are my settings. Those are my fancy settings. Someone questioned my integrity online said, you're not even sharing your settings. I took it out of the fucking box. I put it on you know, PP7. I uh, exposed to the right, and I hit record. That's what I did. Those are the magical settings. Okay, I did the same thing with the other cameras. Turn it on, you know, PP7, whatever S-Log2 was. Hit record. Out of the box. No adjustments to anything. Okay, that's it. Um, if you're not looking for it, you might not see it. If you're used to noisy images, you might not see it. If you're used to AVC HD, which was a nightmare, you might not care. I mean, some people don't care. It's great. Is your audience going to notice? They're really not going to give a crap. But if you're trying to match your camera to an FS7, if you're trying to match your shots to make them look fluid, be prepared to put some noise reduction on those shots. Expose them far to the right as possible. You can use cine mode. Your macro blocking kind of goes away, but your noise is still there, and you do lose a few stops at dynamic range. You can use it, but you also get those smearing artifacts. Um, Sony uh, can't blame the, the operators on this when you have all the cameras in front of you, and I own every one of them. And you see it in the $5,600 camera US, but you do not see it in the $3,100 camera US. That's the problem. So it's not no limits. There are limits to this camera. It is not a good low-light camera in 4K at all. And in HD, it's better, but it's still not all that. ISO 6400, really, if you have some decent light, you can push it. You're going to get far more out of the FS7. You can shoot that. I wouldn't recommend going over 6400 there either, but you can push the 12,800. Okay, which if you have decent light, you can push the A7 cameras, especially the A7S2. You can push that much farther. And the A7S with a recorder. You can put a recorder on the FS5, and it kind of cleans up most of these encoding issues quite nicely. You don't get 10 bits, but you get everything else and uh, makes it virtual, you know, with all intents and purposes unless you're going to grade the, the hell out of it and push and pull to, to extremes, you get basically what you get in the FS7 internal recorder. Um, so um, my plan is for interviews, I will use an external recorder and backup internally. You can do that now, by the way. Uh, if you hook up a, a monitor or recorder to the, to the, out, out, outer, um, to the output of the FS5 you, and you hit record on the camera internally, you can now choose to have them both continue to show an image. Your viewfinder will no longer show an image, but at least you'll get all the readout of the information and your histogram and so forth. And you can use your you know, external monitoring uh, recorder to, to monitor or another monitor. Um, when it first came out of the box, firmware 1.0 didn't do that. As soon as you hit record internally, all the outputs shut off. Now that's an option. So you can, you can work with it. Use your viewfinder for the data. Use your external recorder or monitor uh, hooked to that recorder for your image and record internally. You're good to go. Or just record on the external monitor uh, slash recorder and don't hit internal recording and you get your viewfinder too. So it's possible. But that's really for setups, interviews, planned shots, you know, cameras on track, that kind of thing. Uh, if you're going to run around and you want super high quality, you want the macro blocking nonsense, really putting a recorder on this thing is very difficult. It totally changes the game. It's not like the little ninja that I used to put on the C100, which was very small and lightweight. And you can kind of fold it onto the top of the handle of the uh, uh, C100. It was an annoying, but you could do it. 
uh, a Shogun is almost, it's bigger really actually than the camera body, the FS5. It's bigger. So you're like doubling the size of your camera package to put that sucker on the top. It's really weird. It's it's ungainly. I wouldn't do it to run around. You could, but I wouldn't. It's too much of a pain in the ass and negates the whole purpose of the camera. I'd rather run around with an FS7. If you want something small, you can get incredibly nice images out of this camera. No lie, it's going to look really, really nice. But there is nicer stuff out there for $2,000 less and $2,000 more. So you have to really think hard about what you're doing and why you're buying this camera. It is not a great A camera for documentary work. It just isn't because you cannot shoot anything resembling low light in your shadows. You have to cover them up with grain. You just have to. So that's what I do. Um, documentary camera, news camera, it's good for me. I cover it up with grain or I apply neat noise reduction. I'll include some samples in the show notes where you can see the difference with the noise reduction applied on and off. And you can see that it does clean up quite nicely, except for your 8-bit color junctions. It's very nice. Um, the images are very nice and very usable and very C300-ish. Dan Chung mentioned that to me. It looks like a C300, and it does, especially in HD. C300 is a fine damn camera. I've done the best work of my life on that camera. I think it had a little bit uh, better uh, low-light performance um, due to the macro-blocking issues or lack thereof. Um, but otherwise, fine camera. And this is very similar in quality to that camera. The FS7, F5 are very clinically clean. So I add grain to them anyway. So, you know, you add grain to this to cover up the macro blocking. You add grain to that to kind of give it a little bit of an analog effect, and they kind of meet in the middle. Uh, really, you only need to apply noise reduction if you want to get over those you know, really nasty shadows or those really macro blocky spots that kind of smear, kind of jump out like you like constellations in the sky brightly lit. You want to kind of smear those out, and your neat noise reduction will do that. Or apply external rec- external recorder. So I just want people to have an understanding of the limits of this camera. If Sony had put in equivalent processing in this camera to, frankly, the A7R2, I'm not asking for an FS7, the equivalent noise processing in this camera to an A7R2, I would have been ecstatic because now I would have had an A7R2 with a beautiful, wonderful camera body and variable ND and all those things I talked about earlier in the show, and it would have been great. But instead, i got to be careful. I have to sometimes apply neat noise reduction to clean up some of the messy shots. Not every one of them. In good light, it's very few of them. But there's enough. And i got to use a recorder. I use a recorder. I'm only within $1,000 and change less, actually, when you include media, um, of the price of the FS7. If you, if you add a Shogun to that, you're equal to the price of the FS7. So why the fuck would I get an FS5? Because I'm a wimp and I don't want to carry a f- two extra pounds. It's too heavy. Um, I can do it if I had to, but uh, you might not want to, and frankly, I don't want to if I don't have to. So uh, just be aware of the limitations of the camera. The camera is actually a very nice camera, and most of you will be incredibly happy with the camera. Um, it is better, I think, in every respect than the C100 because it does shoot 422 10-bit and 1080, and it's a better body with better NDs and all that good stuff. Very, very nice HD. And the 4K is, is all right. It's okay. It's nice. It's all right. Philip Bloom's recent review, uh, which is Sony-sponsored, um, but I still think, honest uh, on the whole, 
He says, you know, it's okay. It's all right. It's, 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 it's fairly good looking. It's an accurate statement. The slow-mo, uh, very much, very more, much more noisy on slow-mo. You got to light the hell out of it. I'm just warning you right now. The codec really just falls apart. You know, you can't, it really, it just can't handle the noise. Um, unless you light, light it with a very bright light. So just be aware of that with the FS7 also will get noisy, but can handle much more because of its codec. If you go in and realize the limitations of the codec, you can work around them like any professional and come up with some great shots. As you will see in the stills of some of the stuff I shot, um, uh, I can't release a lot of it because it's private or it's family stuff, but uh, you will see that it looks very, very nice. So it's definitely possible to grade uh, and shoot some really nice stuff. But if you want it to match your FS7 or you want it to match your A7R2, as far as artifacts and noise, you're going to have to add a recorder or some noise reduction onto it. There are limits. Don't believe the hype. Get the camera and try it yourself. But as far as the documentary run and gun body, I do find the body extraordinary. The image is good enough. I just wonder what's around the corner next. The FS7, I don't really worry about that thing. All I wonder if it's going to crap out on me or not. Uh, it's a beautiful image. And if I had the money, I'd just buy a C300 Mark II and be done with it. But even that camera has its weird issues. So, um, you know, um, every camera's, no camera's perfect. Um, we do with the best we can with what we have. So this isn't part of a conspiracy to slam Sony. It's just a question. Why make a camera cheaper, look better, and less artifacty than the camera that people are going to be using in low-light, non-setup shots, beautifully designed FS5? Why price it the way you did? It's weird. Why not make it $4,000? It's really where it sits because the FS7 is only $8,000. So why make it $2,500 more expensive? Because they're so close. It's weird. The pricing's weird. Are we going to have another camera next year, that the FS6, that throws this out the window? Oh, with 150 megabit new XAVC processing. Go fuck yourselves, early, early adopters. Japanese ca camera manufacturers tend to do that. They put out one model, and then they want big improvements. Well, go buy the next one. Um, Sony's come somewhere in the middle. They are doing good firmware updates. Um, they fixed most of the problems with the FS7. Still some strange stuff, like shutter angle changes that randomly pop up. Um, but the next uh, release, I think, will be close close to complete. The camera will be after a year have it. I was one of the first people in the world to have that camera, me and Dan Chung. Um, so I'm very intimately familiar with it and uh, its limitations and its possibilities. The A7R2, wow, that firmware update. Holy shit, Sony, you just fixed a major, major problem, overheating. Like, wow, good job. And uh, I'm sure they're committed to this for a few months, too, so... Let's have some hope that they fix it, but I don't think you'll see a codec change. Great camera overall. If I had to give it a 1 out of 10, for the money, I would give it a solid 7. Um, if it was a couple thousand dollars cheaper, a thousand dollars cheaper, it'd probably rise up to an 8, 8.5 for a documentarian or a news person. The FS7 for the money, I think, is a 10. Uh, as far as uh, like quirkiness, that brings it down to like a 8.5 or 9. The A7R2, that's a 10, uh, honestly. 
um, because the video is so good. Um, and it's not at the quality of the other two cameras, but the stills make up for it. Uncompressed RAWs in there, folks, too. Um, and the, uh, the RX100 Mark IV for its versatility, that's close up to a 10, too, but you're not going to get the quality in stills or video as the other two. But you will get some serviceable stuff in good light. Uh, and uh, the, the stills are very good in, low, in good light. And the video is, is very good in uh, decent light as well. It can definitely cut in with the others. And great slow-mo, 120 frames per second, full HD without any artifacting uh, out of the um, out of the RX100 Mark IV. And it's continuous. Shit, you don't even get that with the FS5. So Sony and all their weird cameras, it's just it's a big head scratcher. Um, but I like them today. So that's my FS5 review, the neat creative brief, one hour and eight minutes long. You can see all the stills. I put some nice 4K, eight megapixel screen caps of all the stuff I'm talking about in the show notes at anticipatemedia.com. I will be releasing more video as time goes on. Um, you can see what a lit interview shot looks like with one key light um, softbox aimed at my uh, my mug. You, uh, Sorry, I look so horrible. It was like 3 a.m. when I shot it, but... You know, what are you going to do? You can see some shots in bright sunlight. You can see some shots like with high um, dynamic range in a car. Um, you can see some test shots. Thanks to Ben, uh, ben Eckstein. Did a great job uh, comparing the F5, the FS7, the F FS5, the A7R2, and the C300 Mark II. Very nice. You can see before and after shots of noise reduction. A lot of the stuff isn't in motion because I didn't have time to put the video together, but I can tell you the artifacts look worse in motion and really not that bad in stills. Um, you just have to know what you're looking for. Get an external recorder to fix all these problems or uh, you know, use cine mode um, when they fix it or just cover it with grain and, and go with God. It's a great camera. It could be better. It should be better. That's my review. God bless. Talk to you soon.